Praise be to God, dear friends, for being a God who is our refuge, a mighty fortress to whom indeed we can run, to whom indeed we can go to. I wonder, my dear friends, who do you run to when you feel like you need to run to someone? Is it a friend that you need to dial up their number right away so you can talk to as early as, as quickly as you can, so you can get it off your chest? Is it to the pantry to get some chocolate? Because you just need to get some sweets to, to deal with the stress in your life. Friends, this past week, something interesting happened along the Mopac Expressway. I'm not sure if you noticed or not, but they finally have cut the tall grass on the highway median and on the sides of the, of the highway. And something very beautiful started to emerge. Shortly cut grass. But in a few places along me and along Mopac, as I drove by uh, the very day they, they cut it, I noticed something very strange. I noticed spots where there's a lot of garbage, trash, lying around. And that beautiful picture of a, of a closely and, and well-cut grass quickly became a place of a, like, looked like a dump. And I thought to myself, what happened? A day this morning, or the morning of, when I drove by, I didn't see the trash. It was all green. Tall, for sure, but at least it was green, and there was no trash. What happened? Who came to dump the trash on the grass? And then Anne realized nobody came to dump the trash that morning. The trash had been there all along. It was just that the cutting the grass now revealed what was hidden. And I came and thought, how often, dear friends, same goes with us when, it, when it's about trusting. It's only when things get cut that we start realizing what has been hidden all along. No one noticed it because things are well. And then something happens in our lives. Things don't go the way we plan. Things go terrible. And it's then that we come to realize that there has been garbage lying around our lives. And nobody bothered about it because it was hidden. It was unnoticeable. Well, dear friends, this morning, we want to look at the reality that often our lives hide what we truly trust in. So often, the object of our trust is invisible until something happens to reveal what's been hidden all along. This morning, we are given an opportunity to consider the life of a king who was in a great difficulty, and God sent him a message of great, great hope. If only he was ready to trust in the Lord. This morning, I encourage you to invite your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, 
chapter 7. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 25 to the end of the chapter. As you are turning your Bibles there, I want to encourage you to, uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you, don't, you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, grab a Bible provided in the chairs in front of you. Uh, there are black Bibles. You may find this passage on page number 571. We encourage you to read along. And if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have an ESV Bible, we'd love for you to have one of the church Bibles. Take it home with you. We'd love for you to read it. And we pray that it would be an encouragement for your soul. Isaiah chapter, one, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Here's the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Razin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the winds. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go up, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shar Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised even against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Razin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, and let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. 
In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come and saddle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with a king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, and for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, everyone, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With a bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are left loose and where sheep tread. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Asking the Lord to bless the preaching of his word for our hearts. Lord, we need to hear from you. And we pray that you would give us hearts that would be ready to trust in you. Father, protect us from the hardness of heart that might despise your promises and lead us into inactivity or lead us into acting on our own strength. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust in you and help us to hear from you a word that would encourage us in the faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. Friends, the story that we have before us this morning is a story of trusting in God's promises concerning a very difficult situation in the life of the people of Judah. This part belongs to a larger story that really goes all the way to chapter 9, verse 7. Today we will look at only the first half of this story, uh, the particularly the part that deals with King Ahaz. Particularly how God offered Ahaz a chance and an open invitation to trust in the Lord for what was about to happen in Judah. Now here's what makes this offer shocking, an incredible offer. Remember how so far in the book of Isaiah, for the first six chapters, we have seen and the prophet Isaiah drove home the message that Israel has rebelled against the Lord over and over and over to the point of no return. To the point where God said, there's nothing else I am able to do to you but let you be destroyed, let you be devastated. Why? Because the people of Israel have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. That is the, the, the one place in chapter 5, verse 24, where we see the diagnosis, the problem. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And God warned them what is about to happen. God is going to let them be destroyed. King Uzziah just died. That same year, when King Uzziah, who had had a long reign, who started well, 
started really well. He reigned for 52 years. Somewhere in the middle or towards the end of his kingdom, he rebelled or he became proud and did something that was against what God said. He rebelled against the Lord. So the Lord sent leprosy to him as a way of showing that the Lord is, is letting this, this nation go in its downward spiral because that's what they wanted. The same year that, Isaiah, that Uzziah died, Isaiah had a, a vision of God. When things got even worse, Isaiah sees what happens above this realm that we see with our physical eyes. Isaiah saw God reigning on the throne. And Isaiah saw his holiness and Isaiah saw his glory. And God commissioned Isaiah to give a message that would harden his people's hearts to be even harder than when they were before. It's amazing that God, in the midst of all that, this background, when now we get to chapter 7 and we get to see some historical stories, some historical events that happened in the life of these people, the first message that God gives King Ahaz is a message to trust in the Lord. The, the nations, particularly the immediate nations, neighboring country, which really was the split off from Israel, when Israel and, and Judah divided into the northern tribes are called Ephraim. It's amazing now, we are dealing here, Ahaz deals with a threat from Ephraim. And then another threat from, from the next neighboring country, Syria. God said that these that nations would come and, and threaten God's people. But amazingly, we would expect God to say, see, I told you they're coming. God sends Ahaz a message of great comfort and hope. That God will not let these two nations come against Judah. What the people deserved were, was punishment. Yet even now, even now, God offered to protect them if only they would trust him and rely on him alone. As we look at this dialogue between Isaiah and Ahaz, there are three major, major truths we learn about trusting in God. And here's the first one. The call to trust God is very practical. The call to trust God is very practical. Uh, this call of, of trusting in the Lord, my dear friends, happens not just on Sundays. It happens in our daily decisions that we have to face. King Ahaz, particularly, was facing a, a, a decision that had to do with military strategy. King Ahaz, the king of Judah, had some decisions to make. He was in a difficult situation. And now, he was given an opportunity to trust in God for what was about to happen to Judah. You see, Ahaz and his people found out about an alliance that the northern brothers of Ephraim, the northern ten tribes of Israel, made an alliance with Syria to come against Judah. Now, during, why did this happen? During the reign of, of Ahaz, actually during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, and now Ahaz, Assyria, a more distant country, was growing in power. And Syria and the northern tribes of Israel 
had an idea. Why don't we have a coalition? These two countries, and we'll get Judah as well, three countries, will rebel against Assyria. Judah doesn't want to go into that alliance with, with Syria and with Ephraim. They say, we don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to join you guys in acting and, and, and rebelling against and revolting against Assyria. So Ephraim and Syria get an idea. Why don't we go and take over Judah? put a puppet king over Judah. So now Judah will join us in this alliance that we have against Assyria. That's the, that's the situation. Now prior to this, the northern kingdom has come to battle against Judah on their own and conquered Judah, killed 200,000 soldiers of Judah. Around the same time, Syria also came separately and battled against Judah and killed 120,000 soldiers. These two stories are revealed for us in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. You can read that on your own. But now, these two countries, not only they come again against Judah, but they come together. And when, when Ahaz hears that now Ephraim and Syria have joined forces against Judah, and, and remember, they were not, Judah was not able to face any of those by themselves already, let alone together. You can understand why when Ahaz and the people of Judah find out that Ephraim and Syria joined together, their hearts begin shaking like trees in a forest shaken, being shaken by the wind. This is a picture of, of total panic. In this context, what was Ahaz to do? Ahaz knows that he cannot fight and cannot stand this alliance, not by himself. So what did he do? He thought he could ask the king of Assyria, pay him some tribute, and say, would you come and deal with these two little neighbor countries here who are threatening me now? Would you come and deal with them? He thought he could ask Assyria for help against Syria and the northern tribes. It's at this time. At this moment in the crisis, that God sends Isaiah a message to give to King Ahaz and to speak to him a word of grace. God is calling Ahaz to trust in what the Lord has to say about this crisis. And the crisis that Ahaz faced was an opportunity to run to God for help, to rely on what God says. Amazing, despite all the previous rebellion that Israel has, has lived in, God was gracious to offer Ahaz to trust in the Lord. And look at the details. God sent Isaiah to meet King Ahaz at the conduit of the upper pool. Now, this was a strategic place. This was Jerusalem's supply of water. When enemies would come against Jerusalem, this was the most strategic place. If if the enemies could take over 
the region that supplied the water for Jerusalem, Jerusalem is done. Jerusalem is fried. King Ahaz is going to expect, inspect the conduit, that supply of water. He's preparing to hold up, hoping that Assyria would come and save them. And, that, and he needs to be ready until Assyria shows up. In case these two kingdoms come against him, he needs to be ready to hold up. It is at that point of very strategic importance that God sends his messenger, Isaiah, to meet Ahaz. And God was going to give Ahaz an even more strategic solution. And here's God's word. Here's God's solution for Ahaz. Verse 4. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. God is asking Ahaz not to fear and to be quiet. Now, being quiet also means being still. Or do nothing. In essence, God is saying to Ahaz, don't make any plans or any efforts to protect yourself against this threat. Why not? I mean, this is so counterintuitive. This is so, what looks like, irresponsible. But look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It will not come to pass. Now, friends, you would think that hearing this news would have caused Ahaz to leap with joy, to bounce up and down, just to go home and tell the whole people, friends, we are okay. God is with us. God is a mighty fortress. He's going to have this protected. We don't need to worry about it. Who would not be happy to hear that news? But that would mean that Ahaz would actually have to believe what God said. That would mean that Ahaz would actually have to trust what God predicted. And this has been Judah's problem for a long time. Remember? They have been despising the word of the Lord. Friends, if you don't trust someone, you will neither, neither believe their warnings nor their promises. Someone might promise you something, but, but if you have lost all confidence and trust in them, like, it doesn't matter what you say. I, 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 won't, I won't act on it. <laughs> it would also mean that Ahaz would have to give up his strategy and plans to protect himself and let God con take control over the situation. Trusting in what he just heard from God would mean trusting to let God take control. And this was a deal breaker for Ahaz. Ahaz had made plans to ask the king of Assyria for help. And trusting in God now would mean forsaking the trust in other people in or in the plans he has made. Friends, this is more difficult. We might think that trusting in the Lord is easy until we recognize that trusting in the Lord means that we let him take charge. That we let him call the shots. 
And this is not easy for us. And this was the case for Ahaz. Isaiah's message is, do not hear, be quiet, be still, do nothing, in essence. For Ahaz, that meant, don't ask Assyria for help to get you out of this trouble. Don't call on Assyria for help. The climax of God's message to Ahaz is in verse 9. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz needed to strengthen not his water supply. Ahaz needed to become firm not in his alliance with Assyria against the immediate threat. Ahaz needed to become firm in his faith in God to become confident that what God says is true. Is God real for you? The way to show if he is real to us is if we rely on him. If we take his word to be true. And if we relinquish our self-centered plans, our human-based strategies. Faith in God is not only that which we do on Sundays. Faith in God is a real and practical experience for our day-to-day decisions. Faith really determines not simply what we believe. Faith determines how we act. True faith leads us to act in ways that shows on whom we truly rely. For Ahaz, trusting in God meant cutting off the reliance with Assyria. He could not have both. That's why Isaiah tells him, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. This rescue that God offered Ahaz was a rescue by faith alone. No human effort, no human strategy, no human plans, nothing else. Leaning on God was all that God required of Ahaz. But this leaning on God meant leaning on no one else. It meant giving up leaning on human-based strategies. Friends, what a gracious invitation God has given Ahaz. This invitation to trust in the Lord would affect his decisions. The call to trust in God is very practical, dear friends. The call to trust in God, secondly, is proven. There's a second point in this story. The Lord offers Ahaz to ask for a sign. This is not a sign because Ahaz doubted. This is a sign to, in, to assure Ahaz and to strengthen his faith, to make him believe that indeed what God, what God was about to say or what God said was about to happen is actually true. God is giving Ahaz the call to trust And God is also giving him an opportunity to prove himself. God is wanting Ahaz to ask for a sign. Now what is special about this sign is that God is offering this sign. He is not saying to, Ahaz is not saying, God, I won't believe until you actually prove yourself to me. Ahaz is not saying, how will I know this happens? No, this time the Lord says, I want you to ask for a sign that this indeed was going to happen. And God says in verse 11, 
Let the sign be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. As deep as death or as high as heaven. In other words, it has asked for a grandiose sign. Whatever you want me to show you, to prove to you that my word will happen. Ask for it. Now what would you have done? Here's what Ahaz did. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. Now at first, this sounds religious. After all, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses commanded there that the Israelites should not put the Lord to the test as they have done in the wilderness. It sounds religious. I will not put the Lord to the test. But friends, behind these religious words, there was actually a heart that refused to believe God. God calls out the faithless heart of Ahaz in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Friends, you see how God was able to see through Ahaz's response? That what sounded like a spiritual language was actually a rejection and a refusal of God's offer of gracious hope. Friends, the devil was able to quote the Bible to get Jesus to rebel against God. Ahaz now seems to be referencing biblical truth and yet using it to camouflage his rebellious heart. Friends, sometimes we try to hide our rebellion by using religious language or actions. God sees through it all, nevertheless. God knows when the heart is rejecting the Lord even while... On the outside, on the surface, we keep a religious face. Friends, this should give us great chills. We can trick people. We can trick even ourselves. We can't trick God. He sees through it all. Now, it's true that we should not put the Lord to the test. But in the case of Ahaz, the Lord is the one who offered this test. So that he can be sure that the Lord would act. In accordance to his word, the sign was aimed to increase the faith of God's people. But Ahaz refused to ask. Ahaz had some other plans. He wasn't going to ask the Lord for a sign. You know what Ahaz did? In 2 Kings chapter 16, the passage that Larry read earlier for us in the service, Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria the following message. So Ahaz sent this messenger to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Assyria, of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz went on with his plans to rely on the king of Assyria instead of relying on the Lord. No matter how much evidence God was willing to give to King Ahaz, let that evidence be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Ahaz was not going to trust in the word of the Lord. Ahaz was going to continue to rely on his strategy, on his plans. He may have given a sign that looked spiritual. He may have responded with religious words. 
but his heart was far from trusting in the Lord. Friends, isn't that the same for us as well? The reason why we struggle with trusting in God is because we don't like the feeling of not being able to be in control. We don't like the feeling of, of things not going our way. When we trust in the Lord, what is at stake is our willingness to surrender our control to the Lord. Even in the face of tragedy, our hearts are bent on trusting our plans more than the God who wants to rescue us. Oh friend, I wonder, is there an area of your life, even now, where battle is going on in your heart? Where you're called to trust either in you, in your plans, in other people, or trust in the Lord himself? Where have you continued to live in your own plans? Where have you relied on human power, human strategy, to deal with a crisis that you're in? Friends, don't wait for a crisis to come until you start relying on the Lord. Despite the refusal to ask for a sign, God will give Ahaz a sign. God will give Ahaz a sign. But because Ahaz refused to trust in the Lord, the sign that God is going to give Ahaz is now a sign of judgment for Ahaz and a sign of judgment for his generation. The sign that God was going to give Ahaz, even though Ahaz rejected it, is a sign of a baby. Verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The sign that God that was meant to assure God's people of his deliverance was a baby whose name was going to be Emmanuel, which meant God with us. Notice what else is said about this baby in verse 14 and 15. He shall eat curds and honey. This was a sign of poverty. In other words, this baby will be born in poverty. Verse 16, we are told that before this baby was going to read, um, to, be, to reach the age of accountability or the age of knowing how to refuse evil and good and choose good, before the baby would reach that age, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. In other words, the, ki- the baby that God was going to give was a time indicator that the northern tribes of, of Israel and Syria will be wiped out before this baby comes to be of age, of accountability. The sign of the birth of the baby had an initial fulfillment in Isaiah's day. We'll read more about the baby in chapter 8. The sign of this baby, born of a virgin, however, was also a predictive prophecy that was looking ahead to another deliverance. To another rescue. God was going to intervene in human history to save his people from another oppression. Not political, not military, but the oppression of sin and darkness. We'll read more about that in chapter 9 of Isaiah. And of course, we'll read about that when we get to the New Testament. When Joseph was planning to leave Mary 
an angel appeared to, to Joseph in a dream and, and told him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew says, and this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Dear friends, the ultimate fulfillment of this sign that God gives to Ahaz is in Christ Jesus. He is the one who is a, a sure proof, a sure sign that we can trust in the Lord, that he will rescue us, that he will deliver us. In, in, in the day of Ahaz, this sign was, was fulfilled in, in, in a small, immediate way. A sign that was going to be for his people, a sign of deliverance, but before, because they refused that sign, that sign became for Ahaz a sign of judgment. Friends, even for us today, as we hear of this sign of, of the baby that was going to be born, the baby that was born of Mary, a virgin Mary, many today are called to put their trust in the Lord, to believe that what God says, that He and He alone is able to rescue them, and He's going to rescue them by faith alone, not by human effort, not by human strategy. Put an end to human strategy. Put an end to the human effort. This rescue was going to be by faith alone. Dear friends, who would believe this message today? Just as Ahaz's time, just as the time of, of Isaiah, even though the Lord has given a sign, the Lord was willing to give a proof of the call to trust, people still have chosen to reject and rebel against the sign. And today, people continue to do that again and again and again. They don't believe the message of God about the bondage of sin. We don't believe the message about God's coming destruction. We don't believe the message that God is offering rescue, free rescue, by faith alone. They don't believe that it's by faith alone. They would rather work for it. They would rather try to do it in their own effort. They're not willing to give God the full trust because they are not willing to give Him the full control. Oh, friends, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're here and hearing this message, the, the, the call of the gospel is very similar to what God has given Ahaz through his prophet Isaiah. God stands ready to rescue his people. If only they will trust in him. If only they will relinquish their plans to rely on their efforts on their strategies, on their self-centered ways. And if only they would really let it all be placed and trusted and relied upon the Lord. My friend, if you have not done that yet, I am calling you today, trust in the Lord. Rely on the Lord. Repent of your ways of trying to live life in your own ways. Trust in the Lord. If you'd like to know what that means, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. 
But there's a, there's a third point to this, to this message that Isaiah gives Ahaz. We've seen that the call to trust in the Lord is practical. The call to trust in the Lord is proven. Finally, failing to trust in the Lord is costly. Failing to trust in the Lord is costly. In verse 9, we already saw a hint that failing to cost, trust in the Lord will have its negative down spiral effect. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In verses 17 through 25 of the passage we read, we see what Judah will reap from not trusting in the Lord. Notice what comes right after verse 16. In verse 16, God says that the land of Rezin and Pekah will be deserted before this baby will reach the age of accountability. But then he doesn't stop there. Goes on to verse 17. The Lord will bring upon you, Ahaz, and upon your people, Judah, and upon your father's house, such days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. What do you mean? He'll bring the king of Assyria. This is judgment. In verse 17, 18 through 25, we see a detailed description of what the Assyrian people will do to Judah. Notice four times the phrase, in that day. Verse 18, verse 20, in that day. Verse 21, in that day. Verse 23, in that day. The Lord refers to Egypt as a fly and to Assyria as a bee that the Lord will whistle to them. You've seen that image before? Shows up now. The Lord will whistle to the bee and to the fly to come against his people. And the whole land will be struck by poverty. In verse 20, there's a picture of a, of a hired razor by which God will clear the land just as a person uses a razor to shave unwanted hair. You know what I'm talking about? The Lord is doing that to his people. Verse 21, the whole land will be struck by poverty, eating curds and honey is a picture of poverty. There'll be no agriculture left. In verse 23, the land of Judah will be turned into a land of briars and thorns, just as the picture of the vineyard in chapter 5. Here's the big surprise, though. How will God accomplish this judgment against Judah and against Ahaz? Through whom? Through Assyria. The very people that Ahaz called upon for rescue. In other words, God will make the very people on whom Ahaz chose to rely, that very people will become not a source of help, but a source of destruction. In other words, when we choose to rely and trust on something other than God, whatever that is, will become the means of our destruction sooner or later. I love how one commentator said, whatever we rely on instead of trusting in God will eventually turn and devour us. Oh, dear friends, the cost of not trusting in the Lord is that whatever we trust other than God, other than the Lord, sooner or later will prove to be the reason and the means of our fall. That's why this call to trust in the Lord is not just a neutral call. You either trust or you don't. Life can go on the same way as it went before. It may for a while, but not forever. We get in this passage only two options. 
either trust or fall. Either rely on the Lord or be destructed by that which you rely upon. We have considered these points of of trusting in the Lord. The call to trust in the Lord is practical. The call to trust in the Lord is proven. And failing to trust in the Lord is costly. It will lead to our fall. Dear friends, the greatest thing we can do when we are called to trust in the Lord is to be still. To be still and trust in Him. Put all our efforts aside and put our reliance fully on the Lord. It is by far the hardest thing to be and to do, to be still in the presence of God. And when he says, I got your back, for you to say, all right, hence off the wheel. There's nothing else I need to do because the Lord has said he's going to take care of it all. But when we still try to to keep the wheels, the, the hands on the wheel, it's not... I'm trying to help the Lord here, or I know the Lord will will help those who help themselves. That, friends, is a lie. You may have heard that gospel of, of morality, the Lord helps those who help themselves. No! The Lord helps those who trust in Him alone and rely on nothing else. Not on them, not on other people, not on human strategy. Friends, the hardest thing for the human soul is to be quiet. And to be still when God promises that he will do it all. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we may be tempted to confuse our human responsibility And hide behind it. And use that as a means of excusing our lack of trusting in you. Father, we confess that our hearts are so prone and so inclined to trust anything but you. Our hearts are inclined and so bent on keeping control, on keeping things as we like them to be, Father, forgive us. Father, teach us how to trust in you. Teach us to be still in your presence. Teach us to relinquish our own self-centered human efforts and turn it all to you in a way that will bring glory to your holy name. Oh Lord, teach us to trust in you so that we may not fall in the day of your visitation. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.